And so to an example of their work, galvanising young people in the West and nationally, this is Dr Greg Hoopland, who's leading kids in planting pocket urban forests. So I've planted five school forests and two forests in the community. I've got seven forests out there now. And now we're just watching them grow. And we've got another four forests going in this year, plus three experimental forests at Murdoch University. How big are they? Most of the forests are 100 metres squared, but I've got one that's 200 metres squared out of Brookton in the wheat belt. And which sort of trees do you put there? A huge assortment. The Miyawaki forests are really different from traditional reforestation in that you, you plant a whole group of different plants that are locally native to the area. So most of the forests have around at least 27 different species and some of them have up to 35. I see. And do they augment each other? In other words, do they depend on each other to some extent? Well, these are species that have evolved together over thousands of years. So you're planting what would have been there if the area hadn't been cleared. So these plants have evolved together and there's obviously some mutual dependence and they actually grow better in combination with each other than if you plant non-Indigenous versus Indigenous. Yeah. Well, of course, with trees, they take a long time to grow and you're starting from scratch. So what do you have to do to get them up? more or less simultaneously. Well, the, the really important part of the Miyawaki method is you have to do intensive soil remediation. So often when you're planting these forests, you're planting them in urban areas and the urban soil is heavily degraded. So the bacterial fungal ratio is often very skewed towards the bacterial component and you obviously need the higher fungal ratio for effective plant growth. So I put in a lot of compost, which I develop with the children at the schools that I work with. And we have a compost system that we put lots of food scraps in from their want and recess. And then we develop that over a number of months. And then that compost all goes into the soil before we plant the forest, along with coconut coir to help retain the water. Because obviously in Perth, we have very, very sandy soil, so water retention is a real problem. And then we mix all that up to a depth of between 50 centimetres and one metre, and that creates optimal conditions for the plants to grow. And then when you put your plants in, very quickly the plants are off and racing. And if you compare the plants inside the forest with the plants that I've controlled plants outside the forest, you can see a marked difference in the growth, both inside versus outside. Schools are dominated by rules, and of course parents don't know quite what you're doing, and you've got to talk to all of the different ones. How do you get past those kind of restrictions, and do children just join in naturally and happily? Children are the best. I think children nowadays feel quite disempowered by the enormity of the biodiversity crisis and the climate crisis. They feel like they can't make a difference. If you bring these forests into schools, the children are actually planting the forest themselves and the empowerment, that you know, sense of achievement they feel is enormous. You can actually see them really enjoying the whole process of putting the plants in. And then when we come back to do the monitoring every month, which we do as part of the program, you can see they're so impressed with how quickly the plants are growing. And then after a year, some of the plants are actually taller than the children who planted them, which is really exciting for them and very exciting for me as well. And teachers don't... Complain about the fact that you're interfering in the curriculum? No, the teachers love it. They get really involved. I have teachers coming out doing the weeding with the kids, helping to measure, you know, getting really involved with the forest. I think the really lovely thing about these forests is they have a huge capacity to engage people. And it's not only the school that gets engaged, it's also the wider community. Because when we go out to gather our compost, we also go out to local supermarkets and coffee shops and gather all their food waste. We bring that back to the school to add the compost system. And the people in the community are contributing those scraps, are asking what's happening with the compost, have you put the forest in yet, how's it growing? So it like becomes a real invested process with the community, it's lovely. 
I remember doing a story about the value of urban trees and how they can lower the temperature by five degrees C. And here in the West, sometimes you get temperatures of what, 32, 38, 40, 42, yeah. and bringing it down five degrees can save lives. Yeah. Apart from anything else, making the towns habitable. So have you had any objection from you know, the value of real estate and all the rest of it, the arguments about space for cities? Oh, not at all. The beautiful thing about Miyawaki forests is they can fit in basically any unused piece of land. So you can actually plant a forest that's only you know 20 metres squared. And if you have a, a disused car park, you can actually turn that into a forest. So the forests can be very small and they can be upwards to you know 700 metres squared, which is one of my colleagues in Queensland's planting a big Miyawaki forest. So And some in the UK are huge. They've done really big ones there. Colleagues in Queensland, what about the rest of Australia? Who's, who's slacking? <laughs> I don't think anyone's really slacking. I just don't think the Miyawaki method has really caught on hugely yet. I know Earthwatch Australia, I'm working with them, and they're planting some uh, Miyawaki forests on the east coast. My colleague in Queensland's planted 11 Miyawaki forests so far, and there's even one little one in Tasmania as well. And there's also some micro forests, which is slightly different from the Miyawaki forests, but they're in camera, and there's a lady there who's doing them there, so that's awesome. Have you left your seagrass work behind? Oh, I don't think I can ever really leave seagrass behind, but for now I am not doing seagrass work, but yeah, it'd be nice to go back to it one day, I think. Force of Nature, Dr Grey Coupland, with the Miyawaki Forest Programme at Murdoch University. And the difference that soil preparation makes to tree growth is stunning. More from the Harry Butler Institute in the Science Show in coming weeks.